Uh, well, I'm going to put you to work uh, for a moment here, as I normally do, uh, to start off with. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25, 1 Samuel 25, and put a bulletin in there or whatever you have, 1 Samuel 25. And then snatch your neighbor's bulletin and stick <laughs> and, 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 and stick that in Isaiah 55. No fighting. First Samuel 25 and Isaiah 55. If you're clever, you might tear your bulletin in half, but uh, Janet wouldn't appreciate that very much. <laughs> she says, "Nah." <laughs> so. We're going to talk this morning about being a forgetful hearer, being a forgetful hearer, and uh, I hope that'll be an, an, a blessing for you. You know, we're forgetful people. Well, I speak for myself. I'm very forgetful, but I think I have a lot of company. I forget appointments. Uh, I forget to call people back. I forget to put the trash out on trash day. And, and I wind up chasing the truck down the street and swatting flies and, you know, all of that. And um, forget things at the grocery store. Well, Jim, why don't you make a list? I got the list with me. I still forget it. <laughs> or I forgot to put the stuff on the list. And sometimes we leave the list at home. And then when that happens, we forget all the stuff we're supposed to get and we buy a bunch of stuff we're not supposed to have. And, and uh, so it's, it's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, as the story goes, there's uh, these two elderly ladies, and they were best friends. They've been best friends for decades, and they do kinds of activities together. And uh, lately, they've been meeting to play cards a couple times a week. Well, this one time, they met to play cards, and they're, they're, they get the cards all dealt, and uh, the one lady looks at the other one, and just with this funny blank stare, looks across the table at her, and she says, you know, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't know your name. I've forgotten your name. I just can't remember. Please, would you tell me your name? And the other lady stares back at her, and is kind of looking at her with this funny look, and, and uh, uh, just staring at her. And after what seemed like an eternity, she said, uh, how soon do you need to know? So, anyway, um, that's the rather humorous side of this, and we'll, we'll get down to the more serious part now. Um, so you've got a marker in 1 Samuel 25, and with the sixth finger on your left hand, you're in Isaiah 55 there. And uh, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You know, there's a, there's a, speaking of uh, trash day, there's a uh, refuse company in Boston, Massachusetts, and in big letters on the side of the trucks, it says, your satisfaction guaranteed or double your garbage back. <laughs> I'm sure everybody's very satisfied. James chapter 1, and we'll, we'll start with verse 22 through 25. James 1, 22. 
But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Let's take a moment and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here again, gathered together and looking into your word, Father, and, and uh, how we hunger for it. Father, I hope that's the case with everyone here. And uh, Lord, how, what a joy it is just to be in fellowship with, with your people and, and just to have this time together. Father, we uh, just pray that... Uh, as uh, we work on this message this morning, that um, I might decrease, that you might increase, Father, because we want to hear from you. Lord, how we'll be sure to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says here, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, there's always going to be deception if you um, have heard only, but have not absorbed it, have not applied it. You're going to be deceived. You're, you're going to have the wrong impression. You're going to forget. You're going to, it's just not going to work for you. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Well, what does that have to do with this being a forgetful hearer? Well, I want, to, I want you to picture this man... Um, and he, he's getting ready to go, go to work, and he's got his clothes on, his tie and everything, and, um, and he just wants to take a quick look in the mirror, so, uh, and he's running late. You know, he's got to get out of there. So he, he dashes in front of the mirror, takes a quick look, and he doesn't even, I mean, why even bother? Because he, he's got to get out of there, and he, he doesn't even, he, so he leaves, and he doesn't even remember what he saw, but he's got a 5 o'clock shadow. He forgot to shave. Of course, by the time he gets home from work, it's a 12 o'clock shadow. So... And uh, surely as he's rubbing his chin at the, at the stoplight, uh, you know, he remembers then. But um, uh, when he peeked in that mirror, he, he leaves, he just doesn't remember at all. And that's what is, is the problem with looking into the Word of God and just walking away from it. Uh, it did not make any impact, whatever the verse was that you read or the, or the chapter. And uh, uh, that, that's what this uh, little parable is all about, about the mirror. But it says in verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God, the perfect law of liberty, um, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. We don't absorb and apply the word of God we're not going to get God's blessing because we're not going to be able to walk in his ways. It's not going to happen. So he says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 5 where Paul said, stand fast there in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast. So we're talking about somebody that has to absorb uh, what he reads what he sees in the Word of God. Um, 
I want you to, um, I, I missed a verse here, and I, I, want you to, I want to say the verse, and I want you to, to chime in with like the last three words. It's Romans 10, 17, and I think that's probably familiar to most of you. It says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, in Romans chapter 10, that's, that's a salvation. We use that in, in our presentation with the people for, of the gospel. So that faith, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God is often treated as uh, somebody hearing and coming to know the Lord. But it's not only saving faith, that's also living faith that he's talking about there. Also living faith. And um, another verse that's very uh, well known to us is Psalm 119.11. And I'd like you to fill in the last three words of this one for me, too. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We've got to hide it in our heart. When we read it, we have to meditate on it, we have to absorb it, and we have to apply it. If we don't absorb it, there's no application. Uh, Now, not absorbing is a serious problem. Uh, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And verses 9 through 14. Hebrews 5, 9 through 14. Now the writer here, I wish we knew his name, because we, you know, we always like to say, well, look what Peter says here, look what Paul says here. But uh, we don't know his name. But the, the writer here says, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 5, And having been perfected, speaking of Christ, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, not Melchizedek, but Christ. We have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. See this problem? You know, but this, is, this is addressed uh, in many places in the Word of God. Uh, we, so many that we can't even uncover them all today. But here it is again. Of whom, verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need of someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. That word oracles, oracles means the sayings of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use or practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Exercise, they've absorbed the word, they're applying it. Absorption means application, that the application is going to happen. And, and, and they are practicing um, oh, how they're going to use the Word of God. Now, we need to understand something here. Um, back in verse 12, it says, For though by, though by this time you ought to be teachers, well, you might say, well, I'm not called to teach, so I'm off the hook. Well, you may not be called to teach a class or to preach in church or something, but all of us are teachers. 
we teach we're, we're, we have to teach our children. If if the Lord leads us into a witness with our neighbor, we're teaching our neighbor the basics of the Word of God about salvation. So in one respect or another, we're all to be teachers. And he says, for those for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now. Um, we need to understand something about this, uh, uh, this babe business that's spoken of in verse 13. He says in verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, when we think of a babe in Christ, we think most of the time of a new believer. That's not what he's saying here. You can be 80 year old, eight, an 80-year-old Christian and be a babe. On the other hand, verse 14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use or practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And the other thing there that you've got to realize is that you can be of full age as a young Christian. It just depends on how much you've applied yourself, how much we apply ourselves there. We can be of full age as a young Christian. So don't take those as, as physical age at all. All right, uh, now what about the profile of a forgetful hearer? Uh, well, we got three L's here. We got lost, lazy, or lax. And we got some other properties too that we'll talk about. It's possible, it's very possible that someone who uh, continually does not apply the word of God could be a lost person. The Holy Spirit is not working with them, or they're not interested, and uh, everything they hear from the pulpit or every, everything that, that is, is shown to them or, or that they might read uh, just doesn't mean anything. Also could be a lazy person, a person that just doesn't care, and has got other, other things to do, maybe gets wrapped up with too much of the world or, or whatever. Or it could be a person that's just lax, lost, lazy, or lax. And um, maybe lacks in, 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 as a matter of habit in their life, and, and it spills over into, into laxness in the Word of God. Um, now, there's another possibility here, too. You know, as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord uh, in the sanctification process, as the Lord works with us, there are sometimes things we're just not ready for. There are doctrines we're not ready and, and God knows exactly where we're at. And the sanctification process, as he applies it to our hearts and applies the knowledge of his word to our hearts, is kind of like peeling away the layers of an onion. You know, God knows exactly how to build a foundation for us so that eventually we can accept things that maybe we couldn't have accepted or understood uh, at the beginning. I mean, certainly a brand-new Christian... None of us would think to take them to the, the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. We, we wouldn't try to, to, to uh, explain that to them when they're a brand new babe in Christ. So that's kind of the way, and God knows exactly what we need. Some of us can learn at faster paces. Some of us need different things than other, others of us, depending on the sin that's been in our lives and so on when we first get saved. God will take us down a little different track. So everybody's not the same, but eventually we need to come to a fullness of general knowledge of the Word of God and an acceptance of it. Now, here's the reason why. Um, 
Romans 8.29 says, and I know you're familiar with this, that um, for whom he did foreknow, he also predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. See, we're, we're no good as, as, as Christians if we don't have a solid foundation in the word of God. We're not going to be of any use uh, for God. And the, our walk is going to be in line with how much we've absorbed. And that's why Paul told Timothy that people who discard the old life and, and adopt the life through exercising the word of God, to adopt the life of Christ, are then people who are fit for the master's use. And I don't know about you, but I want to be fit for the master's use. I mean, there's nothing worse than being a Christian and then watching everybody else have the blessings of God and you're, you're left on the sidelines. Uh, because that will only make things worse and worse for you. I mean, you, you're just not going to have the blessings uh, that you'd like to have and that you, and that you should have. Now, that one spot that you're saving is Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. So if you flip that open. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. And here God tells us that he says, My ways are not your ways. Neither are your thoughts my thoughts, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now what that tells us is, is we have a vast gulf of territory to conquer here, to become more like God. The object here is for us to, to for those ways of God to become our ways. And he'll, as I explained a moment ago, he'll be peeling away, he wants to peel away the, the, the layers of the onion and get us there so that we begin more and more on an ever-increasing basis to think like he does. And that's why I paired that with Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the objective. Um, now, Philippians chapter 2, there's a passage, uh, you don't need to turn there. Uh, you're familiar with this too. It's, uh, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Awesome verse. We're, we're, we have to work it out, but God is working it in us. But we have to be there. We have to be in the game. Um, you know, the, in a baseball game, the catcher can get behind the plate, but Nothing's going to happen if the pitcher isn't on the mound. And that's the idea here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, a, a child of God, the Holy Spirit will instill in that person a, 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 a fear of God and, and, a, and a desire to, to devour his word and to figure it out. And there are some tough things to figure out in the word of God. But again, as God leads you and gradually helps you to grow, the lights will come on, and it, what a joy that is. You've had that happen, haven't you? Where all of a sudden, you didn't understand a passage, and all of a sudden, bing, there it is. And the reason is because you've been in other passages, absorbing other things that relate to it, and all of a sudden, it all comes together. Um, so, 
bottom line is you can't be a doer of the word if you're not knowledgeable in the word. You can't be a doer. All right. Um, now, uh, you can flip open, open that other passage, 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we want to do a study here. And I apologize if this is a bit lengthy. I'm going to help you out with this and fill in some of the spots here because this is a long passage. But um, we're, going to, we're going to be talking now about two men. One is David and the other is Abishai, a man named Abishai, who when David was on the run from Saul, when Saul sought to kill him, Abishai was his general. He was his right-hand man. And we want to contrast these two men concerning this subject that we're talking about this morning. Uh, to set it up, uh, we won't have that contrast immediately, but the first thing we need to see is that God in this chapter needed to teach David something. And so we want to see what David learned, and then since Abishai is right on the scene constantly with David as they flee Saul's pursuit, we want to see if Abishai picked it up also. All right, 1 Samuel 25, beginning with verse 2. Now there was a man in man whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. Anybody know what Nabal means? Have you ever read this passage lately? You know what Nabal means? Fool. It means that his name means fool. And if you're familiar with the passage at all, he, foolish he was. But I have a question. Did his parents know that when they named him? I, I, I would think not, but that's what it turned out to be. All right, verse 3, the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doing. We have so many pictures here in this passage, and this uh, that we've just learned about the two of them is a picture of potentially of an unequally yoked situation. So, so anyone who's in that situation can glean from this passage, from this, chap from this chapter. Um, he was about as crude, crude as, as a person can be, and she, was one of the, she is one of the most godly women in Scripture. So we have complete extremes here between the two of them. Um, the end of verse um, uh, 3 uh, says that, uh, she, well, she was of, of, of great, good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb, and Caleb was, along with Joshua, were the only two that, that, uh, that agreed with taking the land when God had given, them, given Israel the land. Verse 4, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, um, Nabal, Nabal was shearing his sheep. Uh, verses 5 through 7 tell us that he sent uh, uh, ten young men and told them to greet Nabal favorably and let him know that they had been protecting his shepherds in the field. So he sent the men, verse 8, um, says, ask your young men and they will tell you that we, were, we protected them in the field. 
Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. David figured that since they had spent the most of the winter uh, overseeing and helping and protecting Nabal's shepherds in the field, that it was worth something. I mean, they were on the run from Saul. You remember how that got started. Uh, the big catalyst was the people said, Saul has killed his, David his, ten thousands. That's all it took to set Saul off. There were a lot of other things, but uh, so he, he, he's been pursuing David to kill him. I mean, it's been a, a relentless pursuit. So they, David and his men, he has 600 men, and they, I mean, they have to eat. And uh, they're out there in the wilderness, and it's tough. So um, uh, David asked for a a spoil for for their efforts. So verse 9 says, So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. They said what David told them to say. Now, in verses 10 and 11, Nabal says, I don't know anything about David. I'm not giving any of my stuff to you. I'm not giving anything to anybody. I don't know. Forget it. So picking it up in verse 12, it says, So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. Uh, And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, Abishai is not mentioned in this particular passage. He's coming up here. But he was David's right-hand man. He he couldn't have been gone anywhere. He's here. He's got to be among the 400. He's going to witness this whole thing together with David. So... David says, get your swords on, all 400 of you, and we're going up. And uh, in verses 14 through 19, uh, one of Nabal's young men told Abigail about Nabal's crude rejection of David's request and how David's men were on the way to, with intent to do great harm. So Abigail loaded a huge supply of food onto donkeys and made haste to intercede on behalf of her husband, but she didn't tell Nabal. Smart move, right? She didn't tell him. Because he had just refused to do it. And now she's going to load, she had many donkeys and she loaded all this stuff on to take to David. So picking it up in verse 20, so it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. Now, the next couple of verses, uh, David had said, Nabal has repaid me evil for good, so I'm going to kill him and all his men before dawn. That's what he had said. Verse 23, Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. And verse 24 says, So she fell at his feet and said, Oh, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And now we have a picture of the atoning work of Christ on the cross. On me, let this all be on me. Not on my husband. Place it all on me. Verse 25, please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. 
For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. As, as we've already mentioned, his name meant fool. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young meta, my lord, whom you sent. Verse 26, Now therefore, my lord, as the lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hand. Now, he's not, that's not his mindset, but she's attributing that to him, and that's going to be very convicting. That's going to be very con- She's just making this assumption that, that everyone ought to understand that this is wrong. And, it, and, that that, and the Lord treats it as, as being wrong. Well, what's wrong with it? Well, in Romans chapter 12, some of you probably have already thought of this. Romans 12, 19 through 21. Why don't you turn there with me? Romans 12, 19 through 21. Yeah, I hear Jim saying it. He's there. Romans 12, 19 through 21. This is the principle that David has to learn. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. It is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Huge conviction. Do not, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the principle that God wants David to learn. And Abigail, he's using Abigail to, to teach him this. So, um, back in verse 26 in our text here, 1 Samuel 25, verse 26. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Fools. Now, in verses, in the next several verses, Abigail gives David the gifts she had brought, uh, then asks forgiveness of him, and acknowledges that Saul is after him to kill him, but that God would prevail on his behalf. Now, verse 32, beginning there, we want to see David's response. And now this is where we're getting to the heart of it, because we want to see David's response, and then we also want to track Abishai. Verse 32, then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed, from avenging myself with my own hand. This is the mark of David's character. And this is why scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. Was he perfect? Not by any stretch. And the situation with Bathsheba is yet future to this event. And you know what a devastating thing that was. But in every situation, when God taught David something and brought a truth to him, he repented. Every single situation. He had a tender heart. All he needed to know was the truth. And he repented. We want to see if the same thing is going to happen with Abishai, who's right along with us. Now, shortly after David um, uh, uh, thanking her and that, that she's intervened here, uh, Nabal died, the Lord took him, 
And David later on married Abigail. He was so taken by her character that he married her. All right, now uh, move ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 26, and we're going to pick up on Abishai here. And and this is what I want you to see in in, uh, connection with our message here and being a forgetful hearer. Saul has caught up to David. Somebody's tipped him off as to David's whereabouts, so he came and camped out right on David's doorstep. So we'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 26, uh, verse 4. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. Brave soul, wasn't he? Everybody around him to protect him. But I guess that's what the general has to do. Uh, Verse 6, Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah. Abishai was the brother of Joab. And in the account concerning David and Bathsheba, Joab was David's general at that point in time. And... uh, David had sent Bathsheba's husband out and instructed Joab to put him on the front lines lines so that he would die. And uh, so Joab and uh, Abishai are brothers. Um, Verse 6 again, Then David answered and said to him, like the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. Abishai was a warrior, just like his brother. Whenever there was a fight, he was in it. And now that was very beneficial when there was a real war going on. He was a very beneficial guy in that case, in that situation. Verse 7, So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. He says, I'm going to hit hit him with that spear so hard, it's going to go right through him and into the ground. Boing, you know, one of those. And um, that's what Abishai wants to do. Now, what has David just learned? What has Abigail just taught him? Abishai's standing there. He's heard the whole conversation. Look at verse 9 now. In case, somehow, since Abishai isn't mentioned there in the situation with Abigail and Nabal, uh, just in case he wasn't there, I don't know where in the world he would be, but he's going to hear it now. Okay, picking it up in verse 9. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, now watch what David has learned here. Verse 10, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. He's learning about the sovereignty of God and that God is in control of these things. So now he's instructed Abishai. So just in case he didn't get fully instructed when Abigail instructed David, In 1 Samuel 25, he certainly has it now. Verse 11, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please now the spear and the jug of water 
that are by my head and let us go. All right, so Abishai's got the message now. He's got the same message that David got. So let's see now if, if, if he is going to apply that. Move to 2 Samuel chapter 16 with me. 2 Samuel 16. Beginning with verse 5. Now by this time, Saul has been dead 25 years. This is quite a while, quite a span here. Saul has been dead 25 years. He fell on his own sword because uh, rather than fall into the hands of the enemy and, and killed himself. And David, King David, is on the run from Absalom. Absalom, has, his son, has mounted the rebellion and David is, is, has had to leave Jerusalem. That's the scene here. Picking it up with verse 5, Now when King David came to Behurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei. Don't mix up Shimei with Abishai. You know, they, we can mix them up pretty easily. His name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. Came out cursing continuously as he came, verse 6, And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So he's emboldened because he's got all these people standing on both sides of him. Verse 7, also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you're a bloodthirsty man. Oh, this, David, this has all befallen you because you're a bad guy. You know, how many times have you heard that? Now, let's see how Abishai's doing compared with David. Verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Let me go over, I'm going to lop off his head. Now, what is it, really, isn't that what we would all like to do? You know, in the flesh. Lord, can I have a flesh day today? So, you know, so I can do this. <laughs> I want to tap his head. Look at David's response, verse 10. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse. Again, look at the dose of, of understanding that David has from that incident with Abigail and the sovereignty of God, the fact that God's in control and how he's picked up on that. What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, shall say why have you done so? Who's going to question the Lord, David says. Verse 11, And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. That would be Absalom. How much more now may this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me good for, this, for his cursing this day. Verse 13, And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. 
Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. This would be hard, wouldn't it? I mean, this guy throwing stones, kicking up dust. I mean, he's and he's got all these people on both sides of him um, that are of the same mind. Uh, this would be hard. Not get into the flesh over this and to do wrong. But David is, this is why he's a man after God's own heart. All right, now, let's see if Abishai has learned anything yet. I mean, this is getting a little weary, but let's see. I mean, he's, it's a couple of times, two or three times now, he's had the same influence on his spiritual life that David's had, and we've seen David's response. So turn finally to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. Now, by this time, Absalom is dead, and David mourned over his, his son. And David is returning to Jerusalem, finally, to reclaim the throne. That's what's happening here. Picking it up with verse 18. He's re-entering Jerusalem. The ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, this is the guy that was throwing the stones, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Verse 19, Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord, the king. Verse 21, But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, this is getting to be a common response on the part of David to him. What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall, my, shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die, and the king swore to him. What a contrast, you think? between David and Abishai. And which side do you think or do you hope and, and desire to be on? Abishai was a forgetful hearer. He didn't apply anything. Great warrior. You know, when it came time for battle, you know, that's the guy you wanted. But spiritually speaking, he wasn't picking up on anything. So maybe we need to take stock of this. Maybe there are things in the Word of God that, that uh, we just have not applied. We've read them before. We haven't been interested. Or maybe we, weren't just, we, maybe we just weren't ready. But we need to absorb and apply as much of the Word of God as, po as we possibly can. We need to get our concordance out. We need to go to, to, to different references about the same subject and get more meat. You know, we learned about uh, the wrath uh, wrath was spoken of uh, back in uh, uh, the Nabal account, the Nabal and Abigail account. And uh, it's also spoken of in our uh, primary text here in James chapter 1. Um, 
And you know that, that uh, if, you're, if, if you have an anger problem, uh, there are at least nine references to wrath in, in the book of Proverbs alone. And you ought to want to dig into those to help yourself get that problem corrected. Bottom line is, we need to be fit for the master's use, as Paul told Timothy. In closing, um, I'd like you to finish the, the end of this next verse as you have some of the others here. Matthew 4.4, 4, where Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Pastor Ken, I'll turn it back over to you.